Hi everyone and welcome to episode 61 of The Sweet Spot on a Farm. If this is your first episode and you have no idea what this podcast is about, it's all about health and food. It's my search for an answer to how can we achieve healthy body and mind with the resources that are available to us locally. And I'm looking at what we can do to improve our health and what and how we eat to support it. I talk to some interesting guests who can provide us with the tools we need to lead a healthy, happy lifestyle that is personal to each and every one of us. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals, organic farmers and food producers, therapists and simply anyone whose business and life mission it is to keep the rest of us healthy. Um, We talk about their work, their passions and their lifestyles and uh, I wonder what they like to eat. We share cooking tips and plant-based recipes we can all easily make at home. And um, today we're recording online once again and yet again I'm dreading it because we did have some technical issues again when recording the last episode with John and all I can say is that I am really convinced that the Zoom app simply hates me. Um, But that's okay because this online recording business is kind of a hate and hate relationship anyway. So we're all good. Um, Anyway, um, today, if uh, Zoom kindly lets me in, I'll be talking to a teacher, blogger, a writer, radio freelancer and uh, mum of two and a fellow eco-enthusiast, Helen McClements, the author of the Sour Wee Bastard blog, which you should totally check out. Um, and I'm really looking forward to chatting about all things eco, about food, but um, I'm mainly keen to hear about what it's like to be a working mom in the middle of the lockdown and trying to homeschool and run the household and and write a book um, in the middle of this crazy pandemic. So let's find out. I'm really overjoyed at the moment because I don't actually have to teach. In the last lockdown, I had to balance. I had to do a bit of teaching via Zoom for the first time, which I'd never done, you know, talk about learning the job. And this time it has been a relief that at least I only have to concentrate on the homeschooling. But I am noticing a real difference between the two lockdowns because the first one I was quite adrenaline fueled, And, you know, we had that beautiful weather. And there was just a different atmosphere. Yes, it was scary and new um, and at times exceptionally stressful. But this time I feel more a lethargy and an ennui, you know, like whenever I've done this homeschooling with the children in the morning for a couple of hours, whenever they, I send them outside in the afternoon, I find it exhausting. I need to go and have a lie down to recover. And I had naively thought, you know what, I will have this down to a fine art I'll do some of their work with them and the afternoons will be mine I will take it back even if it's only an hour and a half I read somewhere that if you write and you can do an hour and a half of like deep work like that's loads if because if you actually can see what you can do in an hour and a half of really good writing uh, I think I've managed that about twice you know, an hour and a half of deep work. I do lots of little bits and pieces, but um, particularly this time, I'm really easily distracted. And I do want to, we try and have our lunches and our dinners. and We've really made a point of sitting down together and it's the children are wanting that. They're like really disappointed, Susanna, if we don't eat together. They're like, oh, are you having a date night? We want to eat together. Um, so a lot of time goes into home management 
and everything in the home is augmented because there's just we're all here and we've required more pets so I do feel like a 1950s housewife with the you know old aged weathered hands to match at the moment and too easy then to in the evenings hit six o'clock and think right drink o'clock now I need to mark an end to the toil and expectations and this is my time um, but of course then you, you keep sipping away throughout the evening you still want a glass of wine when you watch your Netflix at nine o'clock so you know you can end up several mornings a week feeling a bit hungover hence tonight it's Lent and I'm trying to make a commitment to to do Lent and drink some non-alcoholic alternatives and uh, is that a big smoothie? Look at you. Yeah. Do you know I'm still I'm still in dinner mode. <laughs> Very good. So it's um it's actually it's a it's a protein um protein smoothie because I um I've been working out quite a lot lately and I don't get enough protein because I'm not that big on eating um animal products that much and there's only so many eggs I can eat and I don't prefer I prefer not to eat them every day. Um, yeah. so I, uh, it's, it's not ideal, but I'm chucking lots of protein smoothies cause I'm not that good with, um, all the protein rich, uh, things like pulses and chickpeas and stuff. And I can't really eat rice. Um, yeah. so, um, I'm chucking lots of, unfortunately, all these protein powders, no matter what way you look at it, even if you buy the best quality, yeah. the cleanest, uh, protein powder out there, it's still processed, <laughs> Yeah. but, um, I'm chucking quite a few. I I'm chucking like two a day, um, just to get the protein I need, and uh, yeah. So I'm in a protein mode, but my Nutribullet broke, <laughs> my blender broke. So I'm, I'm. Ah, I'm... so did mine. My <laughs> blender broke as well. Bit the dust. Yeah. One would hope for a better uh, longevity given the price, but the kids love it. You know, one of the daughters just loves, and you know that whole bit of having a smoothie in the morning that's your kind of weekday or your weekend treat you know where you maybe make pancakes and you start throwing in everything and you experiment and um, we have definitely had a bit more fun in the kitchen because we've had time and in the last lockdown we baked a lot and I made this point in the questions that I felt it was so useful for the children just to see the quantities of fat and sugar that go into things like like little fairy buns that your granny makes so you have six ounces of fat six ounces of sugar six ounces of flour and whenever those feel kind of innocent enough you know but there's still loads of fat in them and loads of sugar in them so i think it's really useful for them to be weighing it out to see and even if it just goes into their subconscious because you don't want to turn everything the temptation with homeschool is to turn everything into a lesson you know, um, can you look at the mass there? And sometimes you think they, they don't like this. They feel they're being patronized and I'm not their teacher. I, I don't want to be their teacher. I'm their mummy who hopefully gently can tell them things. But it's definitely a useful way of letting them know what, what goes into their food. But I would still rather make the things with sugar than be buying them loads of processes, muck, you know. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. It's uh, it's one of the one of the guests I had on the podcast, Carrie. She, um, she used to be um, 
cake maker and um, but she her experiences uh, was in uh, you know she had worked in, in a few bakeries and she worked in the industry so she knows exactly what goes in uh, those things that people buy and she she said you know I she would never buy a, a shop-bought cake because if we think it's it's made with flour eggs and sugar then we should really think again <laughs> oh goodness oh it's frightening isn't it yeah but again my enthusiasm has waned you know I went through that phase last week I think it was Thursday Wednesday or Thursday we always baked and then we had a and we, we still do sometimes, but we had a few neighbours that we would deliver to. And it was really that establishing contact and making sure we saw people and that they knew we were thinking about them if they were on their own. Um, but then once I started piling on the pounds as well, I thought, hmm. Um, but it's too easy to punctuate your day with sweets and chocolate as a little reward because you feel at the minute we're missing out on so much that you want to reward yourself. And very often that is through your coffee and biscuits with your enduring your breaks from the routine. I had to convince myself that my reward is um, time in the sea. And um, this morning it felt a bit more like a punishment, to be honest. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I just finished a book um, that a friend had recommended called Wintering by Catherine May. And she's about my age, a wee bit older, like about my year or two. And she was a, a university lecturer and it, she followed a similar trajectory that I did, except I was in schools teaching. She was um, in higher level education, but she basically got completely run down, stressed out, had forgotten how to relax. You know, she was completely in the treadmill and she, she left she just realized her stomach kind of revolted and which is something similar to what happened to me you know I had to cut out all the gluten and everything because I just got so ill when I went back to school after having the babies and I think a lot of it was stress because what I found like now I can tolerate pizza I can tolerate bread um pasta I try not to overload and my stomach will tell me pretty quickly if I do. But I was just in a pretty constant state of, of pain and a really annoying pain on the right side. And I thought, this is it. You know, I have bile cancer or I have ovarian cancer of something. And they did all manner of tests on me in the Royal and had that horrible barium meal test where you have to drink stuff. and It's, it's disgusting. And then see what comes out. But what they discovered was I just had an extremely overactive bile. He said, I haven't seen anyone's bile work as quickly because I was supposed to be there for about six hours in the Royal. And he came and said, actually, you, you, you can go. We, we've seen what's happened here. Um, you, no, the thing was, he said, you have a very sensitive, very over, overly or easily aggravated bile. That was the word. And I was like, oh, easily aggravated. It's me then. It's just, I am like my bile, easily annoyed. Um, but when I left work and was able to then relax and kind of eat when I wanted to eat, I wasn't on a schedule so much, uh, it all sorted itself out. So I would still get bloating and still sometimes my mum will say, oh, your IBS is bad. What are you doing? You're obviously really stressed. And that's the wonderful relationship you can have with your mum because she just says, what's wrong with you? But funny, I sub-taught in September in a different school 
up the road and it was very stressful. It was stressful teaching in a completely new place, new children, lockdown, nobody was normal. Everything was very, very odd. And a girl said, oh, you're pregnant. I didn't know. Oh, it's so wonderful. Congratulations. And I said, no, 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 I'm really not. And she went, oh, no, it's okay. You can tell me. She says, you can tell me. <laughs> I, I know you. And I said, no, I'm sorry. It, it really is just a very cross file. Um, and she was, oh, she was mortified. But I, as soon as I'm stressed, my body just bags it up. It just tells me. And it's similar to your girl, Catherine May, who wrote the the novel. Well, it's more like a a memoir, a little bit self-help, but it's exquisitely written. And she discovered then the sea swimming, and she lives in Winstable, uh, just down the south of England. And she describes properly going in in winter and hitting that wall of pain and cold and talks about the oxygen just being smashed out of her lungs. And then coming out and said, oh, can I do it again? You know, and so she made a pact then with somebody and they, they, they do it. And she, she feels it is incredibly restorative for her, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what it feels like for me. And you, you sometimes think you come out of the water and you think, what did, what did just happen? What, why, you know, why, why am I doing this? But then you know exactly why you're doing this because it, it makes you feel so great. And then often I would come out of the water and and think, you know, no, I don't want, I don't want to get out. I I need to go back in, and then you go back in, and then you get out, and you instantly regret it because your fingers can't move. Yeah, I mean, I find it hard going in in the summer. We spent some time up in Rosnoyla in the summer, and certainly for the surfing I just wanted to know I had my, my wetsuit on and you know it's okay to run in and out in the swimsuit but yeah I definitely felt I had to be quite brave but I know it's and it's funny as well that my parents live in Ballyhome Esplanade and as children we never went into the sea plus it was disgusting there's been a big clean-up job and now their neighbours are family with children and I watch them come in and they put their wetsuits on if they put their wetsuits on and grab their paddleboard and they're straight down after work and I think this life is so rich it we wouldn't have considered this as children plus I do remember going in once it was really warm it was beautiful and coming out really itchy you know and having a rash and it was obviously because there was a little sewer running straight into the water you think god almighty I know it was the 80s and the 90s and there was a lot going on in Northern Ireland back then. They probably didn't think about it so much, but I think they have done a really good job at cleaning up, particularly at Helens Bay and Hollywood, which is encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there's um, you can see how it's um, it's attractive to a lot of people now. You know, there's um, even this morning I went straight... Um, after work and I was there just shortly after eight o'clock and there were already a good couple of handfuls of, of people you know running in and out of the water yeah oh it's lovely I did feel um, whenever I went a couple of Sundays ago we were just walking we had the dog but there was something very attractive about seeing the hardiness of people who were stripping off on a bitterly cold day. I mean, the wind would have cut you. It just whipped your hair over your face 
and in they were going and there was one elderly lady i don't know maybe you perhaps you've seen her and she actually like had a stick going down to the water and a friend was or a relative was helping her and they went down together and i was like oh my goodness the pluckiness of this it did, did uh, show testimony to the indomitable nature of people's spirits which was really invigorating even as a bystander yeah, I think uh, I think it just show, shows you um, how naturally we we are drawn to nature because you know that's that's how we're meant to live. It's just we yeah. kind of forgotten about it, and I I think that in 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 uh, for for somebody like yourself, you know, for um mum, um you, you know when when you have uh, little ones to look after, um you kind of realize how much it helps for them to be out in nature, and especially now and under these circumstances, you know, where um you know you're you're all stuck at home and then then you obviously can see you said that before you know I, I think you can see the change you know when you when you take the kids outside and let them play and run around on fresh air and and it's a massive change in um in mood and uh, I think I think it gives um anybody um you know grown up or a child it gives you energy to then go and focus on whatever you need to do yeah, and it's supposed to be, a, and I know this myself, it's a really good tool to unleash writing because you will have thoughts whenever you go outside and your body is exposed to something different. I find if I'm in the house, I stagnate a bit. But for me now, it's very hard to discipline myself to write anything because I know I'm always going to be disturbed. And I think there's almost a... I don't, I don't know what it is. Is it a, a self-sabotaging thing that says don't go into it? Do you know, because you'll be so frustrated if you're tr really trying to write something meaningful. Because I'm working on a memoir at the moment. And, you know, I, th I really need to say to my husband, take the kids out for three hours and don't come back. But where, where's he going to take them for three hours? You know, that there's no that is not available at the moment and then they are p4 and p5 so they can't go back to school and it's as if at the moment they they zoom in the second i start to really get into something there's a wee hand you know asking a question and well i'm very aware of their mental health at the moment i think we're very fortunate we have a bubble with very close friends i let them play in the garden with the neighbor's child to the right side but I, I don't want them to feel that I have removed security and love and concern for them whenever so much has changed. And it's, it's a tumultuous enough time for children to live through. I'm very conscious of having the, no, you know, the news on um, because I don't want them hearing really scary statistics, but I know they do. Dangerous what they hear. So there is that sense of carving yourself up and inevitably because my husband's at his work and he does really enjoy his work and bless him we do interrupt him but I know he gets a real satisfaction from that and because I write and I get paid for some things but I don't get paid for the blog obviously the memoir is still in its infancy to me that feels very secondary so I don't really allow myself the time to do it and I'm a bit late I know the day is full on so I don't want to get up at six o'clock when it's freezing and I, I don't have the discipline to do that and come downstairs and start to right away you know 
Um, so, yeah, answers on a postcard too, really. Um, do you have any? Do you have any tips for you know? Obviously, we're going through a third lockdown, and and you've gone through homeschooling the kids and um and and working from home. Um, do you have any tips for 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 working mums who are on the same boat, or even you know, working dads, obviously who who are looking after yeah. children? Um, do you have any tips? What, what what have you discovered that really works to keep? Yeah. everybody yourself and the kids focused and and what are there any things that don't work at all yeah one of them is um have a flick through the seesaw or whatever app the school uses the night before and target what you know is important for the child and that you want to do with them because there's a lot of flab in there there's a lot of stuff that is a filler and it looks good maybe and it's arty or it's mindfulness my children get enough of that I know that they both need to work in maths and on their spelling so what's really heartening and necessary for parents is to see a little bit of development and for the children too so zoom in and decide what you need to do and what's important and at least that way there's a sense of achievement and that makes it worthwhile when you see that and that you have been instrumental in helping your child and being able to pick and choose is one of the very few luxuries at the moment so I would recommend hammering in the stuff that for you is important another one is to set a timer uh, the kids got little Fitbits we children's ones and I have noticed their grasp of time and numbers has really improved numeracy since they got them so making them responsible Zuana, where it's say right we're going to do this mass i want you to set a timer for 15 minutes and when that timer goes you can go but i need your attention and that's bite-sized enough that it gives them a sense of control particularly if they've popped it in and now i see them before maybe we've started they're putting their timers on and It's, it's a good, and then if, if I feel they're messing about, I say, you need to pause that because you're not focused, you know. So the timer's good. The deciding what you want to do is important. And we nearly always have a break and we get outside and we have 11s. And then we go back to it and it, it just demarcates the day a little bit. Now, I'm, thank God, not working at the moment. So... That is a big bonus that I, I can actually do this. I see people as I'm on the walks with the, the dog and they're sitting at their computers, head and hands, and that just takes a huge degree of organization and, and prioritizing. And and maybe it's a case of saying to the children, it's setting that timer late afternoon or we're doing a bit in the evening because I can't give you that time now. And just making sure that you're not overwhelmed. I, I do have a belief that this will sort itself out and that we are in a hugely difficult time. It's a pandemic. Nobody's lived through this since, well, First World War, really, and how many of those people are still alive. So I think we have to cut ourselves some slack. Some days are going to be shit and others, you, you will get stuff done and rejoice in that and remember it. So that's that's some of my ideas anyway. Um, that sounds. Do I like really like the idea of the timers and and giving the kids responsibility for their own time? I think that's great. 
um because i think i mean i don't have children but i remember from whenever my my sister's kids were growing up or whenever i was a child or my little brother i remember you know kids are we don't want to be treated like a child you know when you reach a certain age and sort of like five or six you want to be treated like an equal you want to be treated with respect and you want to have some responsibility over your life and and giving given child the responsibility for their time that's i think that's a really great tool yeah it, do you know what i i discovered i was looking at techniques for writing a couple of years ago and it was one of the most useful things i used to use it actually when i was marking for sia for the examination board and it's called the pomodoro technique based on the shape of a pomodoro tomato shaped timer that are really popular in the states you always see them in all the wee soaps anyway so you set it to 25 minutes and work for that period and then after 25 minutes they did some uh tests and they found that that was just the right period to feel that you got something solid done or started and then that gives you time to go to the toilet put the kettle on um and then to go back and to work in blocks of that and so i used to try and do that with my writing and even say if i was working on a blog or i had some ideas at the moment whenever my fuse is quite short and i don't have the ability to settle for long periods of time i say i'm just going to give myself 25 minutes and see what i write down and then it's much easier to come back even to look so always better to come back and see something on the page that you've started you know or whenever i marked at least if i had some of the papers out i'd looked at a couple i'd got into the mindset i'd familiarized myself with the mark scheme that's all stuff that's in the bank that you've done and i do try to operate with that that even if i'm not capable of much i'll say you can do 25 minutes I am going to try that trick because at the minute I'm really struggling with um I study part-time and at the minute I'm really struggling to motivate myself to do my assignments at home and because um, I do you know I spend so much screen time at work that I don't want to go back home and sit by the computer for hours to do assignments Um, I, I'll go and do the research and do the reading and um, you know I'll I'll have you know i'll print of the journals and and i and i'll uh, i'll go through the the books and uh the the papers or whatever and but then sitting down and writing it that's just more screen time for me and i don't like it but i like your i your you know what you're saying uh, your idea of timing and setting even i i can do 25 minutes like and and and, and i can actually write because i have all the notes like 25 minutes that's not that bad and if i know that i have only 25 minutes i'll get stuff done <laughs> yeah yeah and it's actually amazing how many words you can write in 25 minutes and it seems that it kind of gives you an impetus to get started and even another thing is if if the writing is just not coming is some sort of mind map and just blasting down a few ideas because funny I was listening to a lovely show the other day I went on my zero waste free cycle and I was picking up a new bed in Hollywood and on the way it was just really lucky a lady needed books and I had a load of novels so I drove to Hollywood dropped hers off and then on to get the bed and I was listening to Radio 4 a lovely program in the afternoon and a chap was 
uh, talking about how he's a linguist and he speaks like 12 languages fluently and has working knowledge of about 24. So he's just particularly gifted. He grew up bilingual in, in England. The mum was Greek. And he said one of the ways he improves his languages is just mind maps. So he takes a certain topic in a certain language and mind maps it and sees how much he knows. So say he's doing Russian, he goes, going to the shops in Russia. He puts out a bit about money and some groceries and please and thank you and all the rest. And I think that's a really good technique when you think, I do not know what to write about today. I know nothing about this subject. I feel I should write a blog post, but I really don't know. And then you will surprise yourself because the little bit of information just grows wings. Think about it like a coronavirus. It just expands. And before you know it, you've filled a page. So if you ever think you don't know anything about a subject, all you need to do is do a mind map and it will start igniting uh, ideas, which will perpetuate other ideas. So I do find it very helpful to do that. That's that's really great. Do you have some really good tools? Well, I suppose you're a writer, so you have loads of loads of tools that you, you need to incorporate to um to get your work done. But um so you you actually let, let's talk about your blog because you 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 mentioned it a couple of times and I, and it's one of the things I really really wanted to talk about with you because um your blog is great it's so funny but it's also incredibly inspiring not just because you're you know finding yourself in a situation like so many parents you know working and homeschooling and and, and having to bring up family in the in, in the craziest times we've <laughs> we've lived through but um um you are really inspiring with some of your uh, posts uh, when you're talking about trying to turn your household more more eco-friendly and um obviously it's i i find that's one of the great things that this pandemic brought that more people are thinking about it and how much impact negative impact we have on our environment um but also on our health obviously because ultimately the environment we grow up in the, the environment we surround ourselves with um has obviously massive impact to to our overall health um so um i think a lot of people started uh, to think about this over the past couple of years and your blog is is i find it great inspiration because you're really it's very it's really funny it's it's lighthearted and you're not lecturing anybody you're just putting it out there you're um you're just really like this is what i what i'm experiencing this is what it is and you're you you take no prisoners and I, i i love the fact that you you're not worried about swearing i mean this is how i this is what i feel like talking right now this is what you're gonna get tell me when did you get get this idea for for your for for your blog it was my my lovely husband because obviously stevie works in it and he's a few years younger than me so he would have been reading blogs uh well before i ever was uh for him it was just quite a natural thing that you know he looked up different blogs he loves reddit and then that leads him in the computer to other stories and a few years ago i somebody said to me could i write a little bit about our book group um for a lady who was writing in the Irish Times. And then at the same time, The Guardian were writing about weddings and disastrous weddings. So we had a couple of disasters. And within the same week um, of my little piece being published about the book group, uh, The Guardian online posted about the wedding. I think they called me Tanya from Belfast or something. 
but they were both published in a week and I thought maybe I can write because I'd never wanted to write before and people had always said to me oh you've a really good way with words when are you starting to write so because you never listen to the people closest to you I contacted an ex-boyfriend who was an editor of a newspaper down in Tyrone and I suppose I just thought oh maybe I could start writing articles and I would get paid for them and he said <laughs> no you won't um, he said it is such a difficult industry to get into and to make money. People are always writing for free. He said, what you need to do is start a blog and build up your readership and build up your voice and start to write. So, I mean, five years on, I'm still writing for free. Um, although I also now do little bits for radio for which I'm paid. And I'll occasionally be asked, say, if there's a festival to do a reading, sorry, we blog at that. Um, but the blog grew from that and it was an exceptionally cathartic time for me because I was leaving work um, on a career break. I didn't know if I'd go back. And I found that just being able to write about what I was experiencing and then it opened up that I was writing a lot about motherhood and about balancing and juggling. And I got a lot of followers just because I was honest about it. Um, and I think that is what is key. And it's why people keep coming back to it. And I do wonder about the name. The name, Sorry Bastard, came from one night when I was 20. I was working in a restaurant on Botanic Avenue and I was exhausted. And I think my boss had sent me down to get cigarettes or milk or something. It was midnight. And a man in the queue made some quip about me going out for the night. I was like, well, I'm wearing a shirt and an apron. Where am I going to go? And anyway, he kept chatting and I told him to fuck off and God, he was really offended. And he said, well, you're a sorry bastard, aren't you? Um, and so then I came home and the next day I rang my mum and I said, mummy, this man, he, he called me a sorry bastard. And mum, who's from Bangor and she's very proper, she's from Korean, but she lives in Bangor now. She said, oh my goodness, I've never heard anyone sum you up so accurately. And in the way that you're sour with your mummy and the people at home see you more than the, the persona that you put on. So, <laughs> my husband was like, yeah, you, you need to get, you need to do a blog. And I said, well, I'm not going to do Helen's thoughts or Helen and home. That just sounds really wanky and sanctimonious. <laughs> and he said, what about sorry wee bastard and i was like yeah and he at the mean he was just like shh, shh, shh. and the next thing he was like there you are sorry bastard there's your blog and just he said there it is it's live far away in a few things so given that northern ireland is so conservative you know i did feel i'm already deterring deterring an audience at the first post you know some people are never gonna open this and I've, I've since made peace with it. I've thought I might be limiting my membership or my readership rather, but this is who I am. And they're going to go in and discover if they give it the time that there's a very warm heart under this. Because to me, the warmth comes from openness and honesty and allowing yourself to feel shit and not put up a pretense because unfortunately that's what we have all around and that's why people have irritable bowel syndrome and why they have hernias and why our divorce rates are shooting up because we're all trying to perpetuate a facade that, that doesn't exist. And I think more people need to write about or journal 
or share what they find really excruciatingly difficult. And the number of comments and every single one of them, like it just fills me with joy when people say, thank you, you summed it up, you say what we all want to say. And it gives me such heart. And I'm like, I'm not ready to give up on this, even though I'm not very proactive about seeking out people to sponsor me who the fuck is going to want to sponsor someone who says that life is a bit shit and their house is stinking you know (laughs) and there's also something very unsexy about recycling you know the reality is we, we pick up litter we we clean out our bottles um but the reality is going out on a gloomy day and lifting up bottles and disgusting things and rinsing them in rainwater from your water butt and putting it into the bin like that that's not sexy pictures for instagram <laughs> but do you know what another thing is um i think people i, I know that journaling and, and you know writing writing blogs is definitely helpful but i think that having your own blog gives you a great sense of control and freedom as well because a lot of people who are trying to free themselves and put their thoughts using social media are worried about being judged and a lot of the time they are judged because social media is a toxic place to be I mean you never know what you're gonna get back even if you restrict your pages to your friends and people who you know only you're always gonna get some bastard who's gonna judge you for what you think and um, so having your own blog definitely gives you the space to be not to be afraid to be yourself and share your your thoughts and uh, I I love the way you talk about recycling but you're so funny uh, but some of your posts like when did did it actually become rather than just this you know stream of you know your honesty and putting your your thoughts and yourself out there when did it become something that was connected with you know this whole eco thing were you always this conscious or i was conscious in that i hate waste that's the one thing i lose uh, i always have extreme difficulty putting everything in a bin and at school i used to be part of the you know there were all these i went to a, a girls school in bangor so you had all these sort of posh clubs I was in the can recycling club where we lifted the cans out of the bin like it was the the grottiest most horrible post and in the summer they all lived in a greenhouse and we'd be crushing these cans and the the sugar would have sort of fermented so there was a sweet sickly smell and there would have been wasps and I thought well this is flipping disgusting I hate it but I was like I'm not letting these go into the bin you know, I have to do something about it. And so for me, a lot of it is just a thirst to end, put an end to as much waste as I can. And then so many things annoy me and I find it easier to write when I'm annoyed. So if I was looking at the marathon or any of those running events, <coughs> all those models are just being fucked into the bin and that rage would make me want to write. <laughs> so... Um, it, it also allowed me just to get to get the digs in, but to say, look, I'm not having these digs not doing anything. I am doing something about it. And my real hobby horse at the minute is periods because people don't want to talk about periods. And yet 
we are throwing all these tampons down toilets and period pads and people are so no sorry people girls are ashamed they are embarrassed about something that is going to dog them for potentially 40 years of their life and are we just not going to talk about this but every month be maybe throwing three or four always ultra into the bin a day and to me there's nothing disgusting about using reusable pads and washing those out. I worked in a restaurant once where somebody didn't come to collect the, the sanitation bins. So our our boss came out of the toilets one day and she was ashen. There were little fleas buzzing around the, the bin with the period pads in it. And she was just cut and she had the gloves on and she was out, she was sorting it out. And God love her, she was the boss, she did it. And she said, these guys haven't come. It's the summer. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what is more disgusting? Washing out your own blood out of some bamboo pads or some sort of recyclable material or using a, a cup than actually something that is going to be in the in landfill forever or sitting there festering in a bin. You know, we need to change our mind, mindset about this. And I'm not prudy and I'm not ashamed to talk about it, uh, to talk about the dirtier, grittier things, because ultimately th- this has to change. And it is changing in other European countries. It's changing in Germany where you can walk into a supermarket and there are lines of or rows rather of cups and period pants, bamboo pads. But in Northern Ireland, we don't like to talk about these things. And yet we have a really high risk or high level of STDs, of um, teenage pregnancies, because we don't talk about the stuff. And at the minute, I'm still focusing on the periods. I haven't moved on to all the sex stuff in the blog yet, because my mother reads it, and I don't know if she could cope. The heart might just give out. But <laughs> <laughs> I do not need to be responsible for the demise of the mothership. Um, but, but we've issues with honesty in the UK and Ireland huge issues and I there's some things Susanna that I don't want to give up when I can fly again I I need a holiday in Spain for my soul I do want to be able to take my children on holiday again I don't think I'll ever take the same number of flights as I used to when I was in my 20s but there are some things I do not want to give up on and I'm always thinking in my head what can I play off? What things can I compromise on and what can't I? So what are the reasons I will do all the minging recycling? And hell, you know, I can wash my hands. I've got gloves. I've got a litter picker. One of the reasons I'm happy to do that is because I don't want to deny myself other pleasures. So as long as I can have that rationale and I can balance it, but I think what infuriates me is people just not thinking about really tiny things that they could do to make a difference. Uh, Not caring bothers me more than you you, you can get people to think the right way. You can, you know, persuade people or you can go by example and you can change people's way of thinking. But if somebody just doesn't give a shit, it's really hard to, it's really hard to change their mindset and, and, and deal with, you know. Yeah, it is. And just the the litter pick today, we filled two bags. We could have filled six. 
it was wow. they were just calves of it, and it makes me feel so sorry for for kids or drinkers or whoever they are whose pleasure is drinking in a car park and just throwing those cans into the hedges it's it's awful it feels like they are so angry or so disillusioned with life that they're sending out a fuck you to the environment you know to to the very planet it's to me it is to do with a feeling of unhappiness or not fitting in or or just a general apathy which is nearly worse because <laughs> yeah. at least if you start with rage you can go somewhere but to just go to an area of natural beauty and set about fucking it up is is really really upsetting for me and it's funny because I take the neighbor's child and we, we dander off and we pick up the litter and they're just going hi hi can you throw this down Maybe it's just appreciating that people are really struggling. Like there are people who have huge problems. And since the pandemic began, there has been money taken out of uh, different community projects, people who need help. And maybe um, it's trying not to get angry. It's saying, look, what is making you do this? And again, opening conversations. And, and, and how do we do this? And that's why in the blog, I never want to come across as sanctimonious because I have never been holier than thou at all. Um, but just that sense of people maybe need a bit of help, they need a bit of encouragement. And whenever you feel a bit better and happier with yourself, you treat yourself better. There was once um, I had broken up with a boyfriend and I was so miserable. I felt it was a really, really low point. Just... Um, and I was meant to meet a friend for lunch and she cancelled and I just felt so pathetic. And I remember walking up to the Tesco's in the Craigor Road, which was awful. It was the worst Tesco's. It was just dingy shit. You could hardly get a fresh vegetable. And I bought a Tesco own brand cottage pie that I microwaved. And I went home and I ate it and it tasted like sin. It just was one of the worst things I'd ever eaten. And I, I looked at the pie or the remains in the wee plastic container and I thought, I am never going to treat my body like this again or myself. I am worth more than putting this rubbish into my body. I feel shit enough. But I was always grateful to that Tesco cottage pie because it turned something in me. I thought, yes, I've broken up with someone. Life is crap. It's, it's really low. But ultimately, I deserve more and I, I, things will improve, but they're not going to improve if I treat my body like piss. So I was always grateful to that moment. And maybe if the, if the pie hadn't been so awful, I would still be, you know, eating like that. But I thought I deserve more. My body deserves more. Some people never come to that realization. Um... Have, have you, um, I, I haven't noticed many, um, there's, your blog is, lately it has been mainly about eco stuff rather than food, but um, I will definitely get to food um, in a minute. Um, I wanted to um, say that another thing I really, really like about your blog is that you, 
you um, give people sort of little ideas on on sort of how to start being more conscious and uh, treating the environment and turning their households into more you know eco-friendly place because I know it can be quite overwhelming and you know people suddenly um, see everybody doing all of these things and and it's it's just too much you can't suddenly change everything about your life and about the way you live and about the way you run your household because it would get too much and and you in the end you wouldn't stick to anything because it's just there's a lot that we can change but if you set about doing everything at the same time it's just not going to work it's gonna put you under too much pressure pressure you're gonna get stressed and um you'll achieve nothing but stressing yourself out and your blog gives you know little tips it's almost like a day at a time or a week at a time so you can read a post get inspired and change one thing and once you're comfortable with that you can go and move on to another thing and you give people a lot of different tips and even things like you know conscious one of your latest posts that I really really liked was the uh, conscious clothes buy-in Yeah, because I I teach and a lot of teachers spend a lot of money on clothes. Um, You can see them wearing these fabulous outfits. I even had to work one day. I was wearing a Ted Baker dress that I'd bought. No, I wasn't. (laughs) The teacher was wearing the other one. She was senior management, was wearing this Ted Baker dress. And I had bought it reduced and I'd worn it recently to a wedding. And I paired it with a lovely wee hairband. And I thought, I'm going to get a few weddings out of this. And then I walked into school and it wasn't even a particularly significant day in school. And this teacher was wearing this Ted Baker dress. I was like, bloody hell. Um, people spend a lot of money in clothes. And whenever you go into schools, you know, you're always lifting dirty files and kids. But I, I thought to myself, actually, she has the right idea. Buy an outfit and wear it if it makes you feel good. And it was beautiful. It was a really lovely dress. So I started buying sometimes more expensive pieces and then a lot of charity shop pieces and having clothes swaps with my friends and just making that decision that I wasn't going to be spending lots and lots of money on clothes but if I was I would make investment pieces so I now I have a pair of Ugg boots I wear all the time I bought a pair of camper boots when I was in Spain one Halloween about six years ago and I think finally they have bitten the dust now um, but I wore them all the time and they were transformative. They changed an outfit when you wore them. So that is my thing. It's investment pieces when you buy. Stop buying fast fashion shite. It is just, to me, it's atrocious. If you do supplement your wardrobe with something, but you do not need a wardrobe full of clothes that get worn once that ultimately lands and ends up in landfill. And the clothes swaps were so lovely because when you wear clothes that somebody else has, I associate it with them. It gives me good vibes. And then I do that a lot with my children. You know, people just offer us things and I say brilliant and then I send them pictures. So when you see the work that goes into creating and the amount of water that goes into creating one piece of clothes or clothing, it's quite harrowing really. And big big factories collapsing in Bangladesh, people working in atrocious conditions just to fuel this need for different Instagram pictures is is a bit perverse. You obviously do have um, two little girls and I um, often think how challenging it must be for parents to maybe explain kids about plastic and recycling but I 
I guess if they're brought up in that kind of environment, maybe they're not questioning it very much. They know because I talk so much about it. Um, in fact, recently, well, the last time I had them in a shop with me, uh, they actually said, everything's in plastic <laughs> because they hadn't been in a shop for ages. And so they must have forgotten or else they didn't see it whenever I come home. But they really did comment on the amount of plastic and they will. And then today, oh my goodness, we went for a walk and I, we went to the local coffee shop because I said I'd get them each a bun and I picked up some sausage rolls for lunch. But I wasn't getting takeaway coffee because I've kind of cut back and all of that because we can't bring our own cup. And anyway, the child was so thirsty and I reluctantly, after uh, a heated debate, bought her a bottle of water. Uh, a very small one, and she was saying, don't worry, mummy, I will keep this, I will reuse it. <laughs> and it's just just how things change. You know, a few years ago, you would have thought, even as little as two or three years ago, you'd have been thinking you were actually being really diligent because you weren't buying the child a fizzy drink or a something full of sugar. You were getting them a bottle of water, but now the issue is the plastic. That is true. That is so true. And actually, a few years ago, you wouldn't—it wouldn't even probably cross our minds to even think about that it's plastic and it's bad. You'd probably think, "Oh, it's plastic. It's recyclable. It's all right." That's the thing, and the whole idea that people just say it's recyclable, but it's this idea that the best thing is to reduce, and that is the key word of the trio that is dropped. That it's, you know we still just automatically buy and buy in stuff and we don't and it's particularly in schools I know from being on the PTA and you were trying to override these policies which was just get in all the bottles get in the polystyrene cups and then I put it over to the parents they're all middle class parents they can afford a keep cup they can come in their keep cup but you know at every single function it was the mediocre coffee instant coffee in your polystyrene cup um that people drink, they don't even really want it. They're probably going to go straight to Cafe O or Starbucks anyway. But these little redundant measures, just to look hospitable at the cost of the planet, and people look at you like you're an absolute... Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. They don't think you're an idiot, but they certainly think you're a spoiled sport and mm. you are. you have nothing better to do with your time which I just find really frustrating because it's much easier just to not use the cup and not to buy the cups than it is to try and clear up the mess afterwards. Yeah. You know, of the you know, tiny bits of plastic which are now forming part of the whole ocean structure and ecosystem. Um, oh, God, it's really frustrating. But we could talk all night about plastic But I mean, if, I guess we're all responsible, so, you know, <laughs> we shouldn't be moaning too much. We just need to do our best. Do our best and where we can recycle, recycle. And I, I need to, I tend to shop on impulse a lot. Um, and I suppose now it's like such a joy. You say, I've got to go to the shops. I've got to run out. I've got to get my head showered from everybody. And then you get there and think, oh, I could have had my extra little bags for my individual peppers. I should have remembered that. But um, it's a lot of onus on the individual. And I know my friend Claire from Harper's Yard, she talks a lot about the mental load. And it's the mental load with the mother, mostly. Because um, I don't think I am 
generalizing too much when I say usually it's women who worry more about this and particularly like my husband it wouldn't really occur to him now he makes more of an effort because he knows I'll complain when he comes home but I tend to recycle with this group TerraCycle where at least that that is a lot of stuff being recycled that doesn't go into your normal bin uh, but you do have to separate it all out and you have to have a local drop-up point and until you get your head around it and you find a way that makes it easy for yourself it adds a lot to your mental load and now of course I feel too guilty not to be recycling my crisp packets and my cat food pouches and um, I've actually started buying tins but then they all come wrapped in plastic it just feels like a, this kind of vortex that no matter what you do you come up against a hurdle and it's all very very tiring so you, you've less or fewer mental resources to deal with other shit when you're always thinking about okay how can I make this friendlier <laughs> I'm like oh shit now I've fed them out of a pouch now I'm going to have to wash all those minging pouches um, it's not sexy recycling gets this idea on zero cycle or zero free cycle on Instagram is people with pretty bathrooms and pretty plants and they're drinking out of a bamboo cup looking at an ocean and it's like it's fucking not for the everyday <laughs> life <laughs> it, it's not like that it is washing out every last bit of your jam jar and trying to use the miserable bits in the fridge and chop it up so your kids don't see um, being prepared when you go to the shop it's not been able to get that spontaneous coffee that you really want because you've got bloody good beans sitting at home why not go home so it really goes against this kind of 21st century instant satisfaction that we have and it is about depriving yourself a bit and always having to have a bit of foresight and now I find if I do go then and go, fuck, I really want that latte and I deserve it. I'm going to get a scone. I'm going to get a caramel square. And then I come home and I go, fuck, now I feel responsible for this. What am I going to do with it? So I end up keeping yeah. this stuff that I'll somehow reuse. <laughs> I know some people keep their lids and they bring them out with them. But I did that at a local place and they were like, no, we want to give you a lid. It was an Italian guy. No, please, you come. We want to give you. I, I fucking want the lid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he felt he wanted to pamper me. Like, you don't need to bring your stuff. We have the stuff. I go, no. I want more stuff. It's going to sit in my utility room. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's another thing that you end up, um, you're gonna end up surrounded with bags and boxes of different bits and pieces that go to different recycling facility, <laughs> and then you'll have nowhere to move. Like, we have this small kitchen, and so we ended up putting a big cardboard box into our wardrobe in a spare bedroom, where I have all my stuff for a TerraCycle um, and then we have all these plastic things that go to Tesco or Asda under our kitchen counter which um, you know that place is getting filled so quickly I don't know where I'm gonna put it next I need to drive it off and leave it at the shop very soon because we're just running out of space and when you go to the shop, they very often don't know where it is. They're like, oh, it's over there. So you feel, is this a redundant journey? 
Oh no no! Now I know. Now I know. I have two stores. Now tell me where, where do you go? go? Where's your stop? Tes- tell me. Tes- Tesco's. Um. Uh. What do you call it? Not Nagoni. Yeah, Tesco's Nagoni. Um. They have it outside before you walk inside. Okay, brilliant. Okay, I got um, it in the right bin then. Okay. They have it outside, uh, sort of by the trolleys. On the left Great. side of, of the trolleys before the entrance. It's like a little cloth, well, not, not that little, it's like a cloth booth uh, where you can just throw it in. And, Brilliant, okay. And then the other one, I go idea. to Asda in Bangor when I'm in Bangor. And they have it too. Well, that is good because I have a big bag ready to go. And I do feel we have a front room, which was the guest room. And now one of the cats has taken it over because obviously we've no guests. And every bit of clutter has just been fired in. So I said to Stevie, the long-suffering husband, um, or LSB, long-suffering bastard, as he's known in my blog, we have to clear this room. It's not fulfilling any purpose other than making me cross because it's just full of shit. And I saw somebody was looking for a chest of drawers that I'd actually bought off Gumtree uh, from FreeCycle. So we got rid of that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to form a kind of study for me in here that is calm and has a nice desk and it will be for my recycling. It'll be for projects I'm involved in and it will be mine. <laughs> and If you can make your way to the desk through the recycling though. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about it. I have this kind of idea now. Um, I'm involved with my friend who makes period pads out of recycled material her company or her it's a charity collective called shared threads so i'm going to head up a group for her where these pads are made and many of them are shipped off to india because she works with a girl in an ngo out there and it's just brilliant the only piece of fabric in the pad which are made out of cloth and tiles are there's one bit of plastic that is sort of absorbent or it goes as one of the layers so that is the one bit that you have to buy new but every other bit is made out of fabric and recycled materials even the ribbon which forms the little drawstring bag because each girl gets a pack with the pads uh people are making those now out of strips of old t-shirts like it's just the most ingenious use of material um so i'm not a sewer but I can certainly cut and I'll be able to sew on the little poppers to attach them to the underwear and I'll be able to maybe put the ribbons through the bags and really just need people to coordinate the group. Everybody has different skills. Where do they collect their fabric? Well, you have various drop-off points. So, for example, if you knew me, I could be your person to deliver fabric to um, otherwise, Kirsty, who coordinates the whole thing, she's the founder. She has it in Portview Trade Centre in East Belfast. That's where she has her workshop. What is this? What is this company or this group called for, for people? If anybody's interested to donate fabric for this, it is called Shared Threads. So it's been going now for three years, and Kirsty's been out to India and she's chatted to girls and their mums and their grannies all about it because the problem is Susanna girls don't go to school if they don't have period pads 
because obviously they, might be, they don't have access to disposable pads. So I think it's fantastic because it has the whole focus on period poverty and the stigma attached to periods, but also the sustainability aspect. So that even here, like I use Kirsty's pads and a combination of pants that I buy, you know, the Wicca pants is the mm -hmm. make I get just from Sainsbury's. Um, and the last couple of periods I've had, I've been at home. So for the last few cycles, I haven't had to rely on tampons or anything disposable. It can be tricky at work because what do you do with the pad that you've been wearing? You know, you can obviously get little waterproof bags. I haven't got that advanced yet. Um, but so whenever you're at home during lockdown, it is a perfect opportunity to, exp to experiment with what the best means of a sustainable period you can do. I absolutely love that idea. And I'd like to transition to something like that myself because the amount of plastic... Um, our cycles cause unfortunately but the thing is again it's a mindset like to me if you I, I recently was contacted just over facebook by water aid because i'd made a donation to them and then they were supported by this brilliant group and they were doing some sort of collaboration with them and they had these wash pan, um little like toiletry bags all about a bloody good period and all of this. I was just sort of taking the stigma and the shame out of periods. So I immediately was like, wow, brilliant. These are waterproof bags that you can use for your pads if you're at work. But it wasn't. It was just regular, like a makeup bag. So I contacted them and said, look, would you consider uh, making a range of products specifically for this purpose? Because, like, for example, I'm a teacher. My day is six and a half to seven hours if I'm in work. Um, the most I would be putting into that would be one or two pads, and then I'd be going straight home. I would be zipping them up. It would be airtight. There wouldn't be an issue with that, um, and it would just go into a bag. But because of the stigma attached to menstrual blood, you will have people going, oh, disgusting, oh, couldn't bear that, it will smell. And actually, no, of course it doesn't, and you, nobody would be able to smell it if it was zipped up. But this is this perception that women's blood is unclean. And I think this is where we have to shatter and break down all these barriers because it is literally costing the earth at the minute because of the, the amount of plastic. And if we can just tweak it somehow, that we gently change this mindset that there's something wrong and debasing and shameful and dirty about periods. And get that message through to younger girls so that by the time they're getting older, like, I don't know how many, how many periods have I had in my life? Oh my God, hundreds of thousands of pads and tampons I will have been through. I've only caught them onto this. I was in my late thirties. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not going to feel guilty about that. It wasn't the dumb thing, but I'm certainly, my children are seven and nine, and we're just a very open house. I talk about periods. Um, so they know already that I'm sure, these are the pants I wear. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> TMI, mommy, TMI. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, what the time you have yours, you'll be getting pants like this. Uh, I'm not trying to embarrass them, but I just don't want any awkwardness and any stigma. 
You know, maybe they'll do the opposite just to spite me because they'll be so tired listening. I guess as as long as you don't show them your pants are on dinner table, you're all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't tend to show them afterwards. <laughs> well, well, shall we move into food now? Is that the that the segue? <laughs> it certainly could be. Um, you talked about that you cook with your girls, don't you? Yeah, we do sometimes. Um, but I have to confess, today is National Banana Bread Day. And Where do these national days come from? It always puzzles me and it drives me absolutely mental. It's a national chocolate day, it's a national ice cream day, it's a national stand on your head day. <laughs> what? Just all about selling more things. Um, <laughs> but it was my husband, came up, funny, a child had been pestering me last week because I made a banana bread with peanut butter. A while ago, well, actually last lockdown, and it was divine. It was just, I was sort of improvising. thought, hmm, this could be nice. But this morning, all organized, I got the big block of butter so it would soften out of the fridge. And by the time we'd taken the dog for a walk, and then we also did a a litter pick because there was a lot of little bins and the wind had blown open. So that took a while. We ended up being, being out for an hour and a half as opposed to, you know, a 30-minute walk. And then we did the homeschool and then we had a row about the homeschool and I was like, fuck the banana bread. My head is melted. <laughs> so there was no banana bread, whether it be national banana bread or not. And the butter is still sitting forlornly on the counter. Um, <laughs> it may or may not be used tomorrow. Yeah, but we do. We, we cook together. We, we did a lot of baking last um, lockdown uh, my enthusiasm has waned this time but I think that's just pure fatigue and lockdown on we has set in um, but I do think it's brilliant to get them busy to get them practically measuring and for them to see how much sugar goes into items and how much fat and then the difference in eggs somebody from FreeCycle um, delivered me some eggs and they were just wonderful. They were from her chickens. And we buy organic eggs anyway. And they're usually really, really good. But the vibrancy of the yolks from these free-range eggs that she had. And they just sat so proud of the white, you know. And so I was showing the girls, going, look at the difference. These are brilliant. So. Yeah, I guess that's the difference between just free-range and pastured. Because free-range does not necessarily mean free roaming all the time you know whereas pasture do so that's where the difference is but it's great that from you know this young age they they're learning you know about sugar and about all these natural ingredients and how things are how things are made with real food as opposed to you know coming from a plastic packaging in a supermarket yeah, and kids do love it. They love to be involved. And it it is more effort. There's no doubt about it, getting kids to scrape into the little bun cases. Anyone with kids will know that you, uh, you have to forget any perfectionism that you might have. Um, and I'm no perfectionist at all, but um, you have to be prepared to get messy. And my kids, I still think, are too young to wash up. So it's the bloody washing up. To be honest, today I could have made the banana bed rightly, but I thought, oh, I have enough to do. 
without all of this. Because I, I brought home a lot of recyclable material from um, the, the walk. So I was decanting all of that into the bin. So I thought I did enough cleansing. But um, we do fairly basic cooking, you know, sponge cakes and fairy cakes. And we delivered a lot to the neighbours over lockdown. And it was a lovely way to establish a bit of rapport. And then I stumbled across via a friend who's a journalist, uh, a website from a New Zealand mum. And it's called My Kids Lick the Bowl. And she's very keen on using things with natural sugar or certainly sugar that is not refined. So she has a brilliant recipe for these Weedabix squares or Weedabix slices. And it sounds rotten. Um, <laughs> it really, like, I was like, oh, that looks delicious. And then I saw the recipe. It's like Weedabix, dates, um, honey. Um, what else is in it? It's actually, there's very a few seeds, right? And a little bit of water. So you, you create this mixture very, very quickly with a blender and then you pop it into a loaf tin and put some, she suggests dark chocolate, presumably for its healthier properties. But I was like, no, 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 no. I can't cope milk chocolate. And it is surprisingly delicious and very Moorish because we tend to go through them at breakfast and I could have three or four just eaten. And I'm thinking, that's okay. You would never eat, like, four caramel squares for breakfast because you would be sick as a dog. But they're, they're a really great wee recipe, and it's just so hands-on for kids too. That sounds brilliant for, for kids to get involved with, definitely. Yeah, like, I don't think it would be quite up to the standard of Harper's Yard to bring along your... Weedabix bars but for a little simple treat and something that you can whip up and there's no cooking involved either it's a kind of one bowl job are they are they baked or do you let them just set in the fridge they set in the fridge that's brilliant brilliant yeah it really is brilliant um so it was one of those lovely little discoveries and I was never a fan of Instagram and it was only that I went to this bloggers uh, brunch and everybody was on Instagram and I was so opposed to it but actually it's been lovely and I'm not just as keen on the Twitter forum because I find it tends to invite more pithy invective if people don't like what you've put up <laughs> you know you can get into these Twitter arguments I don't have the time to argue or the mental energy or resilience, frankly, at the moment. But Instagram, for me, is a friendlier space to share ideas. If you can take it at face value and know that nobody's life is perfect right now. I agree with that. Um, how are you doing with these kind of baked goods and like Weetabix squares? I don't know if that's something I could eat, but I know that you mentioned you used to suffer with IBS. So I wonder how did you get through it and how are you coping, you know, eating baked goods and, and you know, stuff that contains sugar? Yeah, yeah. I um, I manage it a lot better now. But what has happened, like even though we are in lockdown and all of this stuff is going on, my trigger is stress and it's stress and work. 
Um, I went back to work for a month in September and I told you about the girl who was convinced I was pregnant. And the second I went into that environment, the stomach blew up like a balloon. It was textbook. Um, so I just, whenever that happens, I have to go off the coffee, um, which is awful because I love my coffee, and try and stay away from the pasta. And then as well as that, you have to go very bland. You can't even, I can't even eat a lot of veg or anything. Um, and it was funny, fruit really can aggravate my tummy as well. And I went through a phase, we bought a Nutribullet, and again I was going, this is going to change my life, the Nutribullet, because I'm going to buy loads of veg, I'm going to be getting these big injections of pure vitamins. Um, and it was a disaster for my stomach, because it just couldn't tolerate um, all that sort of roughage. You know, it was just too much for it. So, at the moment I am... Um, relatively relaxed i'm not saying i'm particularly happy with my life with lockdown but i'm not under that acute stress of going into work and being unfamiliar as a sub teacher with everything um but i'm able to eat a bowl of pasta i'm able to eat a few slices of pizza you know two or three slices of pizza i don't rip the arse out of it i can't be unwise but my advice to be to anybody who does suffer from it would be just treat your body really, really kindly. And your body can also tell you what you want. Because I am aware that at times I've reached for a bit of fruit thinking, I don't want this. I'm eating it because my body's telling me, okay, you know, I think I should. It's, it's, And ultimately, I know I should have left that apple. I shouldn't have eaten that orange. It was not the right thing for me to eat. So I think the body is very clever at letting you know what it needs and doesn't need and the trick is listening to it it's quite interesting about the trigger how you clearly know and that environment like as soon as you walk in that is incredible how an environment can cause you so much stress my mom is so perceptive as well you know she can just look at me and go are you okay at the moment but it all started actually in my university years um because I just was under an awful lot of stress, just adapting to the different forms of assessment, living away from home, which I totally instigated. I wanted to come and live in Belfast, but I remember going home once and my mum look, <laughs> looking at my stomach and going, oh! <laughs> obviously thinking, oh my goodness, Helen has got more than an education in Belfast. <laughs> and, and she sort of was asking a few questions you know and I was like no I'm just really stressed and it's it's acute so you know I've lived with this now for 20 odd years um so I guess it's just learning learning to cope and to the best of my ability staying out of very stressful situations <laughs> although one does have to live <laughs> It, it is incredible what stress can do to your health and to your digestive system. It's absolutely mad um, how our nervous system, you know, has such a power over the rest of our body. Um, I have to say that for me, the trigger is not just stress, but it, it would be certain foods. And obviously those foods would be an issue more if I'm already under a lot of stress, then if I'm, you know, feeling all right and, and calm, if, if there's no issue at all. 
Um, so I totally get you. But yeah, I've I've went through the same period in my early twenties. I um I had well late teens and and early twenties. I would get so bloated that I always thought, oh my god, I look pregnant and. <laughs> And and people who who never had these issues, they would never understand. Like my family, they they never understood. You know, when I uh, when I came back uh, um, after a while of living in here, and I already sort of knew a little bit about holistic treatments, and and I knew what foods to avoid, what foods triggered my issues. You know, and and I tried to incorporate it into eating when I was visiting the family. Um, their mantra was oh just eat normal like everybody else just eat everything what what we eat you shouldn't be going on these crazy diets that's just gonna make you worse and they would never understand and they would for a, a, a long time they would just serve me whatever regardless of what i said that i can or cannot eat and it was always a massive issue and i know a lot of people suffer with that uh, that you know being around dinner table with family or going out with friends is a massive problem because how can you explain that that piece of asparagus or you know that piece of fruit is gonna cause you massive issues and you're gonna come home from the restaurant feeling yeah, like you about to give birth yeah 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 <laughs> it was funny that the time i really narrowed it down that i knew it was a gluten intolerance at that time and that, by the way i have been to for numerous celiac tests and they've always been negative um but i went home once and my mom had like you know done me a big, big favor by having us for dinner and saying you don't have to cook and she'd made this big spaghetti bolognese and by the time i was leaving my stomach was out to here of course she packed up pasta she packed up the meat sauce and i was able to i was like it must be the pasta you know just it must be because what else have i had today that it's going to be so I was able to narrow it down, but it's just that funny thing that you end up feeling fraudulent and you feel really stupid then because people think, are you a very affected person? Do you just make this up? Because now I can sit and eat some pasta. Yeah. You know, so it's those sort of triggers that, and it was lovely actually because a doctor finally did say to me, I said, like, I feel so stupid. Is there something, I mean, obviously there's something wrong with me, but... It's the fact that it happens at certain times. And he said, yes, stress is a trigger. So your body will react more. If you're more relaxed, your body can cope. But the way you are, you can't. So that, that was nice. And I'm so much better now, thankfully. I'm, I'm glad to hear it because there's not, not, nothing worse than, than feeling this way and, and trying to trying to um, raise family and do all these things that you have to do and never mind pandemic geez um dealing with the, with all this craziness being stuck in the house homeschooling and and then worry about you know all your digestive issues and ibs that's uh, that's definitely not pretty i'm pretty sure a lot of people are actually going through that and it's absolutely horrible well another thing and it's very basic but it's very nice being near your own toilet as well because that's a real issue if you're in school and you can't get to the loo. Like for me, if I'm at home and if my tummy is a bit funny, um, at least I'm here. It's easy to go to the loo. But I have taught in schools where you have to go and get a key to visit the toilet, which might be pretty far away and you have to shelp down a corridor <laughs> to find the toilet, to find somebody's in it or that you need a key, but actually you have a class waiting. So I think we're 
quickly getting to the idea I'm in the wrong profession, Suzanne. <laughs> but, but there's a lot to be said for being in your home environment. And I do a lot of like yoga stretches as well. I kind of know now if my tummy's funny, I can do various stretches. Um, and I drink a lot of water. And that obviously helps too just helps anyway i read such a brilliant thing recently about a hangover and how your brain is 70 percent water and that's why you get the hangover that if your kidneys and liver are having to work hard and flush out all the toxins they're taking it from your brain and i was like oh my god now i feel the damage i've done to myself <laughs> it was the best thing i ever read to make me want to drink less <laughs> My brain has suffered enough over the years. I don't want to think of it becoming shriveled like a prune because I've hit the Pinot Grigio, you know. Um, do you, I know you mentioned to me that you guys have uh, special dinner nights and, and you sit down with the family and you sit around the table. And I, and I think that's a really great um, environment for um, supporting good eating habits as well you know eating as a family together eating in peace having this kind of nice family atmosphere and and being together and the fact that you and the girls cook together as well um that's just um really amazing and obviously that really um starts them off with good food habits and eating habits um into the life um do you guys um talk about food or what what's um seems healthy or unhealthy do you do kids at all sort of worry about that well we talk a lot about um vegetables as i'm trying to get them to eat them um sometimes with varied results i've got <laughs> one child who is quite intransigent you know if she doesn't want to try something she won't but what we have noticed is since the whole lockdown and the fact we're eating together If we put down platters of different food, if say there's like some chicken and potatoes and different veg and it's all on the table and we tried a different sort of pork dish the other night and she will try if we're all there together. And it's brilliant because it's that sort of, as soon as you make a big deal about it, she won't. It's guaranteed she will not eat something if you start making this big deal. Um, but everything It was funny, we keep talking about, my husband and me, the small things. You know, the smallest things at the moment make a huge difference. Like, for ages, they wouldn't try any eggs that weren't boiled. And I'm not good at doing a boiled egg. It's either too runny or it's too hard. And I've been coached how to do this, but I still never quite manage it. But they now both eat fried eggs. And they know the terminology because I say, I want you to get some protein. It's not enough. I know you eat red pepper. That's brilliant. And bread. But that's your carbohydrate. I, I want you having some protein. Um, so it was just a joy this week because this girl had left these lovely fresh eggs. And I was thinking, oh, I know you don't like ham for your lunch. I know you don't, you don't like cheese. But they had the eggs that they liked. And funny, I heard one of them say to the other, oh, you have to eat that. That's your protein. And I was like, I know. And I love my protein. I love eggs. <laughs> So they're, they're getting this, you know, it's gradually the, the information is filtering through. But the whole dinner thing together is something, again, that has... My husband used to train a lot. He was chair of the Belfast Running Club. So he was out at training two nights a week. I used to tutor one night. 
so and the kids were that much smaller so stevie and i always habitually ate at half eight or nine in front of the television i obviously put on weight because i was nibbling away while the children were eating um and we fed them separately but they have really galvanized this whole let's eat together and they love it and they're really disappointed if we do a date night and we say nope you're eating earlier and one of their absolute favorites is the friday night takeaway so people all get to choose um my husband doesn't like sushi but the rest of us love it so the excitement whenever we get either pizza in or sometimes we get a dirt bird from ormo which is chicken but my favorite is the sushi and how they take out every last bit and they all want their chopsticks and it just becomes a real event you know, it's so necessary at the moment. And Stevie gets his beef and asparagus and his ribs or whatever. But I'm just hoping it's one of these really positive things that's come out of the lockdown, this sense of family time, you know. And lots of conversations about maybe why we don't order loads and loads of sushi because it's so expensive. And we have chatted about how the toll it takes in the ocean. And that's why we buy really good quality fish and why salmon is so expensive if you get the good stuff so we, we we never talk down to the kids we do try to have conversations and they might switch off after a while and that's fine but i think it's good that they know a little bit about what they eat and why we're fussy about what they eat too eating t- together is definitely um one of the big things for many people i think and um, when when people people work from home and have the opportunity to um, go away and sit down with their loved ones around a table. Um, I think that uh, when Steve and I eat together, it, it makes a lot of difference because we do try to have a conversation as well. And as opposed to um, me eating at a different time and then Steve eating at a different time while watching TV, um, yeah it's definitely amazing and I, i i think that obviously when you have children it has a whole different meaning and it becomes even more important yeah and they tell you all about their day and even if it's little boring things at the minute whenever they play outside um a, a friend has kittens and so they, they call it kitten club but they go and they play in the garden with these kittens and oh my god we have heard so much about these kittens But we've been really careful to think, you know, this is what their life is. And it's wonderful that they are so young, that they're getting so much pleasure and enjoyment. And that lack of cynicism, that, that they can talk for 15 minutes without a pause about two kittens. And I've been doing a little bit of work on Maya Angelou. So I was writing a little thought for the day for Radio Ulster about her. And one of the things she said was her mother, when she was older, she didn't have a good relationship whenever they were a lot younger her mother was not good with small people but as she got older her mother never diminished her and she always listened to her and even though at times you know you're going oh god can this story end i do think it's nice for children to feel that what they feel and what they want to talk about has some worth because if they can't talk about the really uh, the everyday the quotidian stuff How are they going to come to you with the big stuff if you diminish them and tell them that it's stupid? So 
I'm, I'm not saying that they get to talk the entire dinner and Stevie and I don't have a conversation. We, we don't sit mute while two little princesses take over. But, you know, they need to know that, that their voice is important, that what they have to say matters. So we're trying to cultivate that. That's a definitely good point. Um, and I'm sure that um, everybody with uh, children can relate to that. That's fantastic, Helen. Thank you very much. What, what a fantastic note to end on. But actually, before we completely um, finish, um, I have a question that I ask everybody because I'm a nosy bastard. Uh, <laughs> you might be a wee sour bastard. I'm a nosy bastard. Um, <laughs> um, tell me, do you have a favorite vegetable? Asparagus. Oh, 100%. I, I find it very hard to walk past asparagus in the shop. And it really pains me that it comes from Peru most of the time. But... I have been known to eat asparagus for breakfast um, with a little bit of butter and pepper. How's your gardening skills? Shit. I can grow a few things, but asparagus isn't one of them. And I looked at how to grow asparagus. It's a pain in the ass, I can tell you that much. Pain in the ass, and it, it yields very little. And I am the person who can't grow courgette. And you have to take, you have to wait two years, I think, for your first yield. Yeah, I think that after first year, there's nothing. I think it's two years you have to wait for the first yield of it. And it, an emotional investment. <laughs> um, I love spinach as well. Stevie always remembers one of our first dates. We came home from the pub. And, you know, that raiding the fridge and he expected me to make a cheese sandwich. And I started making this spinach omelette. <laughs> he was like, what? And I was cramming up. And it's so much spinach. I was going, I'm just going to have this with spinach on the side. And in fact, today I had the sausage roll with a pile of spinach as well. Um, but I do love it. I did home economics at school. And remember always learning all about that rich green color and those have always appealed to me that, and they don't disagree with me cabbage disagrees with me always has can't eat cabbage really can't eat kale but i have no problem digesting asparagus and spinach um yeah and i've let i told you a little bit in the notes about this asparagus salad that we got out of the guardian it was anna jones and it is a stellar recipe it feels really really indulgent it's asparagus and lovely new potatoes and turmeric, and you make your own satay sauce from peanuts, which is a little bit of a palaver, but you do it the night before, hell, you buy it if you don't have it. So you serve the sauce warm over it, it's like a warm salad, and it's best served in a massive plate. And I very rarely feel like Nigella Lawson, but the day that uh, my friends and their babies came up, for lunch the sun was out I put the table outside and I walked out with this and everyone went wow and I was like, oh, just a, a little something I rustled up <laughs> and it was so indulgent you people were like oh. it really was like that scene that you have in her uh, shows where everybody's you know digging in and chatting and I was like I made this I'm so proud <laughs> I was more proud of that meal than I was of my degree. It was just so lovely. And you'll find a recipe in Anna Jones, because I might not completely do it justice here, but the, the sauce takes a little bit of time, but you will end up with a, a little vat of it. So 
for the rest of the week, every time we ate potatoes, I was pouring over my homemade satay sauce. I think there was some tamarind in it as well. It's a really special recipe and it is worth going all out for. Okay, I will find it and I will share it with our listeners via Elaine because that sounds really nice. Well, thank you very much, Helen. I'm um I'm really glad we we had this lovely chat and thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, your ranting and your little tips. Well, I hope that the people will um visit your little blog and have a wee nosy and perhaps uh take up on some um some little recycling and other tips and uh perhaps um, start um, sending fabric for the shared thread. I'll definitely, I'll have a few fabrics to um, to give you for sure. So um, I'll start collecting and after this lockdown's over, I'll do a wee drop off. Oh, brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. Just saving from landfill and seeing something good come out of it is brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Have a good evening and uh, keep writing your blog and good luck with your memoir. Thank you so much. It was lovely to see you. Keep in touch, yeah? Absolutely. You too. Bye. Helen also mentioned to me that they do meat-free lunches and she's doubling up on veggies in cooked dishes um, as a good way to get the kids eat more veg. And the two recipes that Helen mentioned are firstly no bake chocolate Weetabix slices, um, something to make with the kids, which um, you can find at mykidslickthebowl.com slash no dash bake dash chocolate dash Weetabix dash slice. Um, and the other one features Helen's favorite vegetable, asparagus. And it's a warm Indonesian peanut salad by Anna Jones, which you can find at the lifestyle section of The Guardian online and search for the article with the title Meet the Modern Cook, Anna Jones. Because both of these recipes are available online, I will not be uploading them into the file section of our Facebook group page, but you can find all the other podcast recipes there, including our recipe collection from the first 50 episodes. They're all there in PDF format, ready to download. And if you want to find out more about Helen and her blog, you can find her on the usual social media, Facebook and Twitter at SourWeeBastard um, or at SourWeeBlog on Instagram or go to SourWeeBastard.com. And to learn more about shared threads and recycling fabric to make reusable sanitary pads to help fight period poverty, you can visit www.womenfolk.co slash shared threads or you can find shared threads community on Facebook. And if you enjoyed this or any other episode, please do leave us a review or rating on whichever platform you listen to this podcast on. It really takes about 30 seconds and it helps other podcast listeners to find the right content for them. And it really helps us content maker to find the right kind of audience. And if you have any comments of constructive criticism, please do send us some feedback and suggestions on social media, or you can email me at thesweetspud at gmail.com. And that's it for this episode. Have a lovely couple of weeks. Try recycling something new, giving away an item you no longer use to someone who might appreciate it, or take a short litter picking walk in your neighborhood or the nearest park. It might make you feel good. 
But most importantly, whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.